Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. We'll also be reading from chapter 6. Exodus chapter 3 and starting at verse 13 says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Going across to chapter 6, just a page or two later, maybe three, on the size of your Bible. Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 2, says, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Amen. On Wednesday night, I started a two-part study or lesson, if you like, titled who is jesus christ and why does it matter and i will hopefully be concluding that lesson this coming wednesday night and this morning i'm starting a series of lessons that i believe will be about three lessons long that is complementary or that will go together with the lessons that commenced on wednesday night so if you're here on wednesday nights you'll get the whole package if you aren't you'll get part thereof uh, everything is recorded if you want to get CDs of those lessons. And hopefully, by faith, Lord willing, Lord helping, the two Wednesday night lessons together with the first two lessons of this series will dovetail together for the third and final lesson of this series. He says, hopefully. Uh, and so with that as a, as a platform, I guess, the series I'm commencing today is simply titled The Name and the Blood in the blood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, to anoint, to bless, to open our understanding. Lord, give us revelation. Give us insight. Lord, give us the assurance of your truth and of our confidence in you and your word, we pray. Touch this vessel of clay. Lord, give me clarity. Lord, of my mind and speech as I teach and preach, we ask you in that name that is still above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So this subject, if you like, has been uh, sitting, I guess, in my heart, my mind, in my spirit for some time, and I've just felt the direction of the Lord to, to begin teaching on it. I know it's the will of the Lord, and I know it's the subject that the enemy does not like. So I'd encourage you to be aware of distractions and reasons to miss church. 
I think we should always be aware of distractions and reasons to miss church and should do our best not to miss church. But I have felt a particular opposition to this subject as I've been preparing throughout the week. And uh, that just lets me know that the Lord wants us to hear it and that the devil doesn't. So we need to take heed to his word. Amen. The name and the blood. Apostolic Pentecostals strongly believe in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. And in fact, I would go as far as to suggest that biblically speaking, not traditionally speaking, but biblically speaking, to be truly Pentecostal requires that you are not only filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, and that's usually the way that Pentecost is defined, but you also baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. After all, if we're going to claim to identify with the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it requires that we have the complete experience that those new converts had in that chapter, not just a part thereof. Otherwise, we should miraculously say that we are partial to Pentecostals. Because in Acts chapter 2, not only did they receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but the 41st verse tells us that they that gladly received his word were baptized. And so if I'm going to say that I'm Pentecostal, and labels are not necessarily everything that matters, but if you're going to make that statement, we need to be able to make that statement in the complete biblical understanding of what that statement means. Amen. And while we certainly believe that it is a good thing, I would suggest a great thing and a vital thing to emphasize the importance of the name of Jesus, we need to also recognize that the name of God was very important throughout both Testaments, not just the New Testament. Sometimes we can fall into the, into the error of thinking that the emphasis on the name is a New Testament situation. It is not. It is a whole Bible situation. Amen. And in the two passages that we've just read in Exodus, and I'd ask you to keep your finger in the second one there in Exodus chapter 6, the first one we read in Exodus 3 records a conversation between Moses and God, where God has recently told Moses that he's going to send him back to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of bondage or slavery. And Moses responds. Moses, like many of us, felt reluctant to respond to the call of God based upon how he perceived himself. I was speaking with somebody the other day about their calling, and they, they expressed a similar negative viewpoint. And I said, don't run from the call of God. Let God do what God wants to do. And Moses, like most of us, was trying to find a reason why he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. And in many of his attempts to excuse himself, he said to the Lord, when I get back to Egypt and I tell these people that you've sent me to deliver them, they're going to ask me, what is his name? And I need to be able to answer that question. What do you want me to tell them? And the Lord responds by saying, I am that I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. I don't know what Moses thought, but it's not really a name. It's more of a statement of identity than actually, it's not a name like Fred or Bill or Joe or whatever. It's, it's like, I am. Moses may have thought I've never heard that name before. But the name I am, when you look into the original languages, simply means that he is the self-existent one. It's a declaration of existence that never has a beginning 
and will never have an ending. It simply means I exist. That's what that means. And on Wednesday night, if you were here, we discussed how that in John chapter 8, when Jesus was speaking to the religious rulers, Jesus identified himself as the same God that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. In John 8 and 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, he was either identifying with the God that spoke out of the burning bush, or he had a problem with his sentence structure. Because particularly in the English language, that doesn't matter. Jesus didn't speak English. I recognize that, but it's translated into English. You would never say before somebody was, I am. If somebody said to me, well, how old are you and how old is Brother Chi-Chi? I could say before Chi-Chi was around, I was around. I, I was there before he was there. But if somebody said to me, are you older than Brother Chi-Chi? I wouldn't say before he was born, I am. They would correct my grandma. My mother's a school teacher. Trust me, my grandma would get corrected. But when the Lord used those words, it was deliberate. It was a statement of connecting himself to the God that spoke to Moses, who had the law that these Pharisees professed to be in charge of upholding. But when we get to the second passage that we read in Exodus chapter 6, there's a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to that I think are important. If you have a King James version of the Bible, who's reading the King James? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with others. Okay, just so we're all loosely on the same page. If you don't, maybe just look over somebody's who does have a King James. You'll notice in verse 2 of Exodus 6 that the word Lord, L-O-R-D, is in all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You'll also see in verse 3 that the word Jehovah is also in all capitals. That's a bit long. I'm not going to go through all of those letters. You can see that for yourself. Yet when you read Genesis around the time of Abraham, you'll see that that same name is used for God as was being spoken about here with Moses. But the Lord said to Moses, he said, the patriarchs who I made the covenant with, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, by, they knew me as the Lord God Almighty, but they didn't know me by my name Jehovah. And yet the word that we get in the original, we get Jehovah from, is listed there in Genesis when Abraham was interacting with the Lord. So at first glance, it seems contradictory. So how do we understand that? One possibility is that because Moses is understood to be the writer of the first five books of the Bible, and he wrote them retrospectively or, or looking backwards, he wasn't reporting live on the scene, but he wrote them looking backwards, he used the name of God as he knew it when he wrote those books. Another possibility is that God was not referring to simply knowing a name, but to the revelation of what was included in that name. You see, when God made a covenant with the patriarchs in his name, he gave them a promised land, but they never saw it. And so that part of that relationship was yet to be completed. But Moses would lead the people of Israel to that promised land. And they would know the fulfillment of the promise that the patriarchs had only dreamed about. The name is more than just letters on a page and, and an audible sound that we recognize. Name has a much deeper connection. 
And so the Lord said they didn't know me by that name. It wasn't necessarily that they never heard the name, but the, the revelation and the experience that he was now bring, ushering in with Moses and the Israelites, they hadn't seen that yet. There was a part of relationship through his name that was yet to be completed. Perhaps that's the way we can understand that. But either way, what is established is that this name that God was speaking to Moses about is very, very important. It wasn't something to treat lightly. You know, there, there are words that we read about in the Scripture that refer to God that we could use in different contexts to refer to other gods and sometimes even to people. An example of that is the word God itself. We know that often in the Scripture when we read God, it's speaking about the one true living God. But there are other times that it's speaking about other gods. God is a very general term. An example of that in Joshua 24 and 15, where Joshua says to Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. He said, either the gods of the Amorites that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the people in whose land you dwell. He's using the word God, but it's referring to different things that are worshipped. It's a, it's a general term of something that is worshipped. Again, the word Lord, not in all capital sense, but with lowercase o-r and d. The word Lord is often used to refer to God, but it's also used to refer to other people, particularly people that are rulers and kings. If you ever have the opportunity to, uh, this might sound strange to use that opportunity, but if you ever go to court in a place that uses the, the British legal system, they will still refer to the judge as my lord. When I was in Botswana, I went to court one day. I wasn't in trouble. I was going along to support somebody else. And it was very much my lord this and my lord that. And they were using that term to address him because of his authority. They weren't calling him God. So sometimes words like God and Lord, even though they can be used for God, they are general. And their application has a lot to do with the context. You know, the Bible even says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. And there's no way in the world that Sarah was calling him God. But it was, it was talking about the respect for him as her husband and the, the, the leader, etc., etc., but in the, in the word of the Lord, when you see the word Lord in all capitals, it's translated from the same root word as the expression, I am. Not translated from the same Hebrew word, but they come from the same root word. And it is the personal identification of God himself. It is not generic or general. It is not going to be used for false gods or leaders or rulers or kings but it is only speaking about the God that was speaking to Moses through the burning bush the same word that is translated capital L capital O capital R capital D is the word that is translated as Jehovah in that same passage and we can talk about why it was translated Jehovah and why it was translated Lord another time but the the, the King James Version only uses the word Jehovah from that translation a handful of times, normally translating it as Lord, all caps. And the word is used to identify God, not any God, not just somebody's God, not a false God, not the Amorite's God or the Moabite's God, but the one true and living God that made heaven and earth, 
that called Abraham into covenant with him, that heard the cry of his people and remembered that covenant. That word, not the generic terms, but that word that identifies him is used in the Old Testament more than six and a half thousand times. Don't tell me his name's not important. It's not, you know, I've heard people say, well, Christians and other faiths, we're all just worshiping the same God. We've just got a different name for him. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. There's not some generic God that we're all finding a different path to. The one in the scriptures is the one that said, I am that I am. He is not worshipped by Muslims. And I have nothing against Muslims. They are welcome in our church. But do not believe that it is the same God. If we just say, well, it's all just one big general put in a melting pot, then maybe you could go that path. But the Word of God does not give us that liberty to do that. So we have to understand that the importance of the name of God is not just a New Testament concept, but it is emphasized throughout the Word of God. I read one commentator that suggested, and I, I thought this was, was quite powerful actually, that God uses the expression, I am, and when we address him from using the original of that capital L-O-R-D, we're saying he is. So he says, I am, and we say he is. And that's the relationship that he wants to have with us. And Moses, when Moses wrote these things in Exodus, when he recorded these things in the scripture, he knew that the name of the Lord was powerful. He knew how important it was. And if you'll flip, flip over to chapter 34, I won't get you to turn to every reference today, but this one is worth reading together. Exodus 34 and 1. The context is that Moses has been up on the mountain with the Lord. The Lord called Moses up, and the Lord gave Moses what we now call the Ten Commandments. He gave them, he gave Moses these tablets of stone. The Lord by his power, carved out these two big panels of stone and wrote the commandments on there himself. And then while Moses was up on the mountain getting the commandments of God for the people of God, the people of God were down at the bottom of the mountain getting worried that Moses wasn't coming back. And so in their fear and their panic, they turned to Moses' brother and said, we don't know where Moses is, make us another God. And unfortunately, Aaron didn't have enough backbone to, re to refuse and he gave in to their desires and they fashioned a gold idol. And Moses came back down the mountain. The Lord said, you better go down the mountain. Moses went back down. He saw the sin that was in the camp and in his anger, he threw the stone tablets into the ground and they smashed. And the process went by. The people had to be corrected, restored, etc. And then God calls Moses back up the mountain. But this time, Moses has to cut out a couple of new stone tablets by himself. Now, you might think, well, that's no big deal, but there's no angle grinders, no diamond-cutting circular saws, no, no power tools. Imagine with whatever hand tools he had, he had to cut out two nice slabs of rock. I could just imagine he's, he's nearly finished one of them, and he hits it just the way, and it cracks through the middle, and he's got to start again. I'm sure he was muttering a lot that day. Anyway, that's, that's where we pick up the story in Exodus 34 and 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee, or cut, carve, make two tables of stone like unto the first, 
and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which you broke. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone. I guarantee he was a bit more careful with them going up than he had been coming down the first time. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. We know that the, the, the Lord is a spirit, but such was the presence of God. It was as if God was standing there with Moses. And it says, And proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now somewhere in this transaction, the Lord rewrites the commandments on the tables of stone. And even though we can see that something powerful is happening here, it's difficult for us to comprehend exactly what is going on. The cloud of the Lord's glory is there, and the Lord's right there with Moses, and God is declaring His own name. And you'd think I was a bit strange if I stood up here and I said, Simon, and you're like, yeah, but what's the big deal? It's just you. But the Lord is standing there, and when, so when it, it talks about the Lord proclaiming His own name, again, there's a deeper understanding here than just the audible sound. There's the Lord declaring who He is, His character, His power. He's wanting Moses to have some insight into who He was. It's a part of the Lord establishing a covenant with His people and the progressive revelation of God that is taking place throughout the Word of God. God's name was front and center of everything that God wanted to do with His people. We're not given all of what happened there, but we are told that the Lord declared His name, and in that declaration, He included things that He wanted the people to know He was merciful, gracious. These are the people that have just worshipped an idol, and He's declaring, by my name, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm long-suffering. I'm abundant in goodness and in truth. They're all things that are contained in the name of God. Amen. This is why His name is so important. Some more examples. We're we doing for time. Some more examples of Old Testament emphasis. In the 20th chapter of Exodus, in the seventh verse, as part of those Ten Commandments, they were told, "Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You don't treat it lightly." You don't use it offhandedly. You don't use it as an expression or a vow or a curse. But you had a reverence that says, The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. In Leviticus 19 and 12, it says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. And I believe that we need, when we speak the name of Jesus, we need to do so with reverence. We should never do it in the way that the world uses it. We should always do it acknowledging who it belongs to. But again, when we talk about taking the Lord's name in vain, it's not simply doing something audible. It has to do with our attitude toward the one that the name belongs to. 
and the, everything that name represents to us. It's not just about, we should never use the, the Lord's name as a curse word. You ever wonder why it's only the name of Jesus Christ that our world uses as a curse word? You ever see anybody, you know, you're at work and somebody hurts themselves or breaks something? You ever see them take the name of any of these other gods in the world in vain? Why is that? Because the devil knows that if he can get people to disrespect the name of Jesus Christ and treat it lightly, it will be harder for them to understand what it is and how powerful that it is. If you read Leviticus chapter 24, you'll find a story about a young man that was found to have been blaspheming the Lord. It doesn't say exactly what he did, but it says he blasphemed the name of the Lord. And they, you read that passage of Scripture, you'll see they brought him to Moses. And Moses basically said, put him in the lockup while we decide what we're going to do. And they went to the Lord, and the Lord said, kill him. Wow. That seems fairly harsh. But it's a statement of how important God's name and his identity is to him and how he wants his people to treat his name. And they stoned that young man to death. In Deuteronomy 28, 9 and 10, it says, The Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself, as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. Isaiah 43 and 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, I have created him for my glory. Daniel 9 and 19 says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. There are many, many examples that I could use. These are just a selection. But to be called by the name of God means to identify with Him. It means to know His character, to experience His power, to live under His sovereign authority, and to dwell in His sacred presence. That's what it means to be called by His name. It's not like just belonging to a club or, or wearing the same uniform. When it talks about being called by His name, it has to do with our connection and our relationship with Him. Throughout the Scripture, God uses His name to reveal Himself. And many of you have heard me teach this before, but in the Old Testament, the Lord often used what are called compound names to reveal Himself, or names that have a couple of parts put together. And there are many examples. I think there's maybe 11 or 12 that are in the Scripture where it begins with Jehovah or I exist. Same name as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And then it has a suffix or a second piece put onto it. For example, when when Abraham was, was asked to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, he went up the mountain, and at the last minute the Lord stopped him from offering his own son, the Lord caused his attention to be turned towards a ram that was caught in the thicket by its thorns, and that became the sacrifice. And at that point, the name was Jehovah-Jireh, or the Lord who sees, the Lord who provides. It was the same God, but the second part revealed a part of His character. It was still, I exist, and I provide. You can read on, there are others where it was in, in Exodus 15, we see Jehovah-Rapha, 
or Rapha, depending on how you like it, which means the Lord who heals. I exist and I heal. And on and on there is Jehovah Shema, which is the Lord is present or the Lord is here. I exist and I'm here with you. Jehovah, some of them I can't pronounce, so I'm going to pass over those ones. But Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord our banner or the Lord our victory. I exist and I'm your victory. And throughout all of these compound names, and if you want to look at them more, Google it when you get home. Look for the compound names of Jehovah and you will see that the Lord is using his name to reveal parts of himself to his people. Like a piece at a time. It's almost, it's almost like throughout the scripture, God's giving them installments. This, I am the God that you're in covenant with. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I care. This is how I give you the victory. This is how I provide for you. This is how I give you peace. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. So time and time again, the Lord is showing his people, this is another piece of who I am. This is another part of what I am to you and what I can do for you. And there are many scriptures, and I, if you want them later, I'm happy to give them to you, where the Old Testament instructs us. This is Old Testament instruction. To exalt His name. To praise and bless His name. To seek His name. To call upon His name. To sanctify His name. The word sanctify means to set apart or make holy. God's name is already holy, but it has to do with how we treat His name. To fear His name. To love His name. To remember His name. To think on His name. To walk in His name. These are all Old Testament instructions. And it says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And that the righteous run into that tower and they are safe. I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to convey today. How important is the name of God. Some people don't think it's important. The scripture begs to differ that his name is so important. It is not simply a New Testament idea, but it is a Bible idea. From Genesis through to Revelation, there is an emphasis on the importance, the power, the significance of the name of God. And it's there in the Old Testament because it builds a platform for us to understand why the name of Jesus is so important. Matthew chapter 1. Let's turn there together. If you're here on Wednesday night, the lessons about who Jesus is will come together with these lessons about the name and the blood and hopefully add to our understanding, reassure, underscore our understanding of who Jesus is. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Manuel, which being interpreted is God 
with us. In the Old Testament, we had a compound name, Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is here. But in the birth of Jesus, we have another name, Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. There's a different meaning to that than God is here. He is with us. There's a connection that's speaking about. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament, the word of the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah is the Savior. He's become our salvation. And that concept is further reinforced by the use of the word Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Keeping in mind that we've already, I haven't spent as much time as I could. I could keep you for hours, but I'm merciful. I'm trying to be like the Lord. Keeping in mind that throughout the scripture, God has used his name to reveal his character and his identity. We especially talked about those compound names. This time is different. This time is different because this time, it's not just the Lord showing his people a part of him through a situation or a victory or a deliverance or when he provided the sacrifice. You know, Abraham, when he saw the ram in the thicket, and he was able to use that as a substitute sacrifice for his own son. And in that, there is the type of Jesus. But Abraham had an experience that revealed part of God's character to him through a situation. And that's often what the Lord did. He allowed, when he gave them victory, he said, hey, I'm your, I'm your banner. I'm your victory. But this time is different. Because this time there is a child that is born who is the revelation or the manifestation of God himself. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. That's what the Bible tells us. The word begotten meaning that he is the only child that God ever caused the conception of in the womb of a woman. Now, the angels are referred to as the sons of God, created that way. We are referred to in the New Testament as being the sons of God because we are adopted by His Spirit. More on that in another lesson. But Jesus is the only Son of God that the Lord actually brought about the physical conception of. Now, I think we all understand, except maybe the little ones, but they're upstairs, that God is the source of all life. All life comes from God, but you and I, every one of us was conceived through the relationship between our earthly parents. So life comes from Him, but conception happened in the natural. But with Jesus Christ, He was conceived, the Bible tells us, when the Spirit of God, the biblical word is overshadowed or moved and, and functioned, did something in the womb of a young virgin. A young lady who had never known a man supernaturally became with child. And the Bible says that she conceived. So contrary to some people's opinion, she was not a surrogate mother. The Lord didn't just have a ready-made fetus and just go, there you are, Mary, look after that for nine months. But his spirit involved her in the conception. And so that from the Spirit of God, divinity came, but from Mary, humanity came. 
But because of the way that it happened, he is unique in that he is made like unto us, yet without sin. It is not possible for two human beings to produce another human being that is sinless. Now, it may be sinless at first, but give that nature a few hours. Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble, the book says. Jesus is the only man that was ever delivered, ever born like every other, every one of us was born, but he was born sinless because he is the only begotten Son of God. And so this revelation, this understanding, this manifestation, up to this point throughout the Old Testament, it has been progressive. I am the Lord God Almighty. I am Jehovah. I am Jehovah Shammah. I am Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Ra, Jehovah Nissi, and all the others that I can't remember. It has, all, it has been progressive, and it has got greater as it went along. Like installments. You know, if you subscribe to something, like a magazine maybe or something, it comes every so often in the mail and you get a little bit more understanding. Unless you get a magazine that doesn't teach anything, it's just junk. Save your money, give it to missions. But if, you know, perhaps you might have an interest in a particular skill and you might subscribe to something. Now, my dad, I think my sister subscribes to a woodworking magazine from my father because he does some of that as a hobby in his retirement. And when he gets that installment, there's an increase of knowledge. There's lesson two. There's steps five to six or whatever. And each time it comes, there's a greater impartment. And throughout the Old Testament, as the Lord, when he was with Adam and Eve, they had a great relationship. But once sin came in and we were separated, the Lord had to reestablish connection. And he has, over the centuries, said, here's a little bit more of who I am. He would, he would show them in their present. But he would also move by his spirit on the prophets to talk about what he was What's coming soon? It's not in theaters yet, but it's coming soon. It'll be here in a little while, and I will reveal a little more of myself. But when we get to God manifest in the flesh, it is the final installment. When Jesus Christ was born and the Lord revealed himself and said, You shall call his name Jesus, it is the grand finale. It is the ultimate fulfillment of God saying, This is who I am. This is my name. This is no longer just a slice of my character, but this is everything that I am and everything that I have. Hallelujah. I'd like to keep going on that, but that's lesson three. I don't want to get too excited. Bless the Lord. Jesus in the New Testament let us know that we would be hated. What did he say we'd be hated for? Because we sing loud? we clap? Nope. Didn't even say we'd be hated for speaking in other tongues. We might be ridiculed, but we wouldn't be hated for that. And he said we'd be hated for his name's sake. Because if this world and the end of our souls can get us to stop using that name, then all our singing becomes empty. Even all our speaking in tongues loses its value. Everything we do for him, if you take the name away, that's why it's about his name. Bless the Lord. That's why that even in religious circles, when you make a big deal about the name, 
it often brings a reaction that is surprisingly aggressive. But the New Testament, I'm nearly done this morning. The New Testament instructs us. We, did, we went through a list of examples in the Old Testament. These are some of the New Testament ones. In Matthew 18, it tells us that we should gather in his name. Mark 16 says we cast out devils in his name. The same chapter says we lay hands on the sick in his name. John 14 says we can ask in faith in his name. In John 14, again, the Holy Ghost is sent in his name. Revelation chapter 2 says that we should hold fast to his name. Revelation chapter 3 says that we should not deny his name. Further importance in the New Testament that's placed on his name. Matthew 12 declares that in his name will the Gentiles trust. And I'm standing here this morning making two statements. One, I'm a Gentile. Two, I trust in his name. Amen. Luke 10 says that devil's the subject in his name. John 5 says that he came in his father's name. His father's name. That's important. We'll get to some more of that a bit later. John 20 tells us that we have life through his name. Acts 2 says that we should be baptized in his name. Acts 3 says that faith in his name brings miracles. Acts 4 says that his name is the only name whereby we must be saved. Acts 10 tells us that remission of sins is in his name. Acts 15 tells us that he is taking out of people for his name. The book of Acts, the whole 28 chapters, you can pick out different examples. The apostles were commanded by the authorities. Again, they didn't say don't sing. They didn't say don't get together. They didn't say stop caring for the poor. Stop worshiping. They said stop preaching in that name. Every time they were challenged, you don't see the Pharisees saying, I'm sure we told you not to sing together. But they say, didn't we command you not to teach in that name? Bless the Lord. First Corinthians, I believe it is, tells us that we are washed, sanctified, and justified in that name. Philippians 2 tells us that it's a name that's higher than any other name and that every, na every knee should bow to it. The same chapter tells us that that name came from God. Hebrews 1 says he received his name by inheritance. It is his father's name. The same chapter says that his name is more excellent. James chapter 5 says that when we pray for the sick, we should do it in his name. Colossians 3 and 17, which really leaves nothing uncovered, says whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Hallelujah. Don't tell me that the name of God is not important. Don't tell me that we're splitting hairs when we insist on being baptized in the name of Jesus. Don't tell me that we should just put it aside so we can all get together and nobody gets upset. That's not what I read in my Bible. I'd love to be able to say, let's all just get together and just have this generalized kind of faith that nobody wants specifics in. That would be nice, that would be pleasant, and that would be easy, but it would not be biblical. He said we'd be hated for his name's sake. 
and I said it before and I'll say it again, do not believe the myth that as long as we're all worshiping God, somehow it doesn't matter. There is only one God. His name is Jesus. It is the only name whereby we must be saved. It is the only name that takes away the stain of sin from my soul. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you may know the Lord, you may have faith in God, but you've still got that stain. Even if you're filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, Peter went to Cornelius' house and the Spirit of God fell right in the middle of his message and they began to speak with other tongues and Peter commanded them. He didn't say, well, this has been a really good service. Maybe next time I come to town, we'll do a baptism Bible study. No, no, once they were filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, I command you to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of Jesus is not negotiable. Bless the Lord. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Wednesday night, we will finish the lesson on who is Jesus Christ and why does it matter. Next Sunday morning, by the grace of the Lord, we'll talk about the blood. And then, I'm not sure exactly,